the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Monday, October 11th, 2021. Let me get you the phone number right off the bat. 602-508-0960. This isn't um, a show of 8 million stories. It's a show of 8 billion stories, I suppose. And there is a lot going on. I'm glad to be here with you to do it together. I was thinking about today and what I wanted to say about Christopher Columbus Day, which is what we all grew up with, kind of proud to be Americans, proud to have a holiday that celebrated Italian-Americans and their contribution. And Joe Biden is the first president this year in history to proclaim it Indigenous Peoples Day. Now, you have heard me often speak of how the left isn't as serious as they want you to take them. And I think they are deadly serious in their own mind. I just don't think they're very smart or consistent about it. There's no internal consistency or actual intelligence behind what they do. It's all for the sake of satisfying party dictate. To wit, there is no reason, none whatsoever, you can't have an Indigenous Peoples Day in America, on any number of other days where we're not celebrating the contributions of Italian-Americans. You can change the name of the day. We've done that. And you can change the name of a lot of things. You've heard me speak recently of the confusion caused in society by the left's changing of things speech to things violent, things inherently nonviolent to make them inherently violent and thus criminal and subject to the coercion of the laws, in Jefferson's phrase. Remember what Jefferson said in his Statute on Religious Freedom in Virginia. The government has no business coercing the operations of the mind, only the operation of the body, which is to say can stop you from harming someone else. There's no reason to criminalize thought. We'll come back to that in a moment. We are, however, in an area, excuse me, in an era of new speak, new speak. It's not news peak, it's new speak. And it comes from 1984, the novel by George Orwell. Described this way, you tell me if this sounds familiar. This is in 1984. By 2050, earlier probably, All real knowledge of old speak will have disappeared. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, they'll exist only in new speak versions, not merely changed into something different, but actually contradictory of what they used to be. (laughs) I don't know how much is in this sentence. 
Shakespeare's out. You can get degrees in English literature at colleges in America without ever studying Shakespeare because he's out. And then they tell us in 1984, beware, though, if they do use them, they might have him standing for something the exact opposite of what he used to believe. One might think of that in regard to speech and violence. In any event, Orwell continues in 1984, even the literature of the party will change. Even the slogans will change. How could you have a slogan like freedom is slavery when the concept of freedom has been abolished? The whole climate of thought will be different. In fact, there will be no thought as we understand it. Now, orthodoxy means not thinking, not needing to think. Unconsciousness is where they want to drive you. Now, if you go back to the appendix of 1984, there is a chapter called The Principles of Newspeak. And George Orwell tells us it gained ground steadily all party members tending to use newspeak words and grammatical construction over time more and more in their everyday speech until it became common in the lingua, lingua franca. Slowly and over time. You beginning to see any of this or in the middle of see, in media arrests of seeing any of this in our own language? War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength is how the book opens up given the ministry of truth. And we can talk about people standing for things and things meaning the exact opposite of what they used to. We can thank the progressive left for that, or we can thank Marx, who instructed us that all of this was to come. The task until now of the philosopher was to understand history. Our purpose is to change it. He was not unclear on this. What is unclear to me is why so many people refuse to see it. Perhaps we forgive them having grown up on the principles of Oceana and Newspeak. But I get to that as I get to what we used to know. Remember the people in 1984. Remember there were things they couldn't totally eradicate. Happy Columbus Day, David Marcus wrote a few years back. There I said it and I mean it. I don't wish you a solemn Columbus Day, nor a mournful one, nor still a guilty one. I wish you a happy Columbus Day. It's a day to celebrate the contributions of Italian-Americans in our nation's history. That was the original intent behind the holiday, after all, to elevate Italians at a time when they still faced marked bigotry. It's interesting, isn't it, that the Oceana Ink Sox want only one group in history to be understood as having faced racism or bigotry, one preferred group. This is, this is sort of the interesting thing here and the objection by so many others. It's happened to a lot of different groups in America. And if you want to understand history, let's look at what caused it, why it was caused, and what overcame it, how it, how it was overcome. That's how you study it not by eliminating that it ever existed. That's censorship. That's 1984. That's Ministry of Truth crud. The original intent was to celebrate Italians when they faced marked, marked bigotry. But more than that, it's a day to celebrate a man whose example of courage and determination we need, as they say, 
now more than ever. Christopher Columbus wasn't just the man most responsible for opening up the new world to the old. He was also an example of the American dream centuries before our nation was born. The son of a tradesman, he was mainly self-taught in the ways of words and letters and began acquiring his sailing chops as early as age 10. This wasn't a privileged young man, rather, one who, through pluck, will, and healthy Catholic faith, rose far above his humble origins and became one of humanity's greatest and most famous heroes. At a time when the world is battling a global pandemic and the economic catastrophe of lockdowns, this was written last year, Columbus offers an example to us about balancing the fear of death against the immortal human longing for prosperity, achievement, and discovery. Four times he would cross the Atlantic, most famously in 1492 with the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Each was potentially deadly. Each went through a dangerous voyage into the unknown. While it is certainly true that Columbus was better at getting to the new world than he was at governing it, his opening of Atlantic trade would change the world forever, arguably save the West and spread the gospel farther and wider than anybody in what was then known as Christendom could have imagined. If this sounds hyperbolic, consider that just a few decades before Columbus's first voyage, Constantinople had fallen to the Muslim invaders, and that it was only in that same year of 1492 that Christians reclaimed the Iberian Peninsula in in the Reconquista. Christendom has been in a battle for survival through five centuries of invasions and crusades. The riches of the New World, tapped first by Columbus, ensured the safety of the West and laid the groundwork for its global dominance. The upshot of Columbus's grit and courage is nothing short of the world we inhabit today, one in which Judeo-Christian values, through centuries of churn and violence, have led to the freest, most equitable, and most prosperous nations in our planet's history. There are those who say that Columbus didn't live with our modern values. That is true, but it is also true that without Columbus, our modern values might very well not exist at all. A wise man gazes on history with a fervent hope for mercy, not unlike what so many hope from God. He doesn't dare mindlessly condemn his own past in toto because he knows that his own age, too, has its own moral blind spots and is marred by great crimes. In our age, those social justice messages are tapped out on phones produced under conditions approximating slave labor. The best he can do is live in the world as he finds it and do his best to bring about a more humane place, a future that may well treat his own age as base and uncaring. That's how Columbus lived and acted in history, not living long enough to see all his greatness reduced to his mistakes. Columbus Day is a time to remember that which seems impossible. It is a day to feel inspired, to know that we shape the future. So maybe go to an Italian restaurant tonight. And raise a glass or two of Chianti to Columbus and the crews who served him. Wonder at the bravery of those men and ask yourself what challenges you can face in, with strength and purpose. Don't allow the naysayers who line their parked, park pockets with the outrage of the guilt steal from you the history that belongs to all of us. Don't fear their sneers or snide remarks. Christopher Columbus endured plenty of those in his own day, but rather than cower beneath the criticism of those who were supposedly his betters, Tell him, telling him what he couldn't do, he trusted in himself, God, and the limitless possibilities of human exploration. 
Monday is his day. Today is his day. But also ours. Let's hold it in our hearts. This has been going on a long time, by the way. And I'll tell you when we come back how William Buckley handled it in a book in 1992 when he was surprised by an interview question on this. And we'll do that when we come right back. I have a lot more for you. 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You didn't plan that song, did you? That just came up naturally as I was about to talk about the Columbus voyage and Mr. Buckley, William F. Jr. That's great. William F. the second. Um, in 1992, it's been going on a while. In 1992, Bill Buckley uh, wrote his last sailing book. He wrote four or so, maybe five sailing books where he would do sailing excursions. And they're fabulous reads. You learn a lot about sailing. You learn a lot about, a lot about politics. You learn about everything. Think of the, man, the mind of a man on the open seas, you know, with <laughs> nothing around him to distract except friends of some similar mind and some uh, differing minds. I think he always had people who didn't agree with him on those on those sailing trips. But they were real sailing trips. They weren't these huge cruises. They were, you know, they took a lot of work. And he was a very noble sailman, sa- sailor. Um, so he his last sailing trip that he wrote about book about was in 1992. It's called Windfall. It's a good book, Windfall. And what he decided to do was interesting, but trace the journey of Columbus. Trace the journey of Columbus. And that's what he did. And he was on the Today Show promoting it. And I have been searching high and low for the video for years. I remember watching it live. And I can't um, I can't find the video. I suppose one could write to NBC and pay for it. I don't know. It, it's probably not worth it. But I did find the transcript of Bill Buckley and Bryant Gumbel. Gumbel was the host back then. Was Gumbel replaced by Matt Lauer? Is that how fast things have moved? I think he was. In any event, doesn't matter. Gumbel says to Buckley midway through this short interview, and it's a short interview. It's only like three minutes. Weird. But anyway, Gumbel says to Buckley, um, Columbus, as you know, is the subject of debate, hero versus villain. Where do you come down, Buckley? Bryant, you're not going to bring that up, are you? Gumbel, why not? Buckley, because when we're here talking about my book, I just thought it was a little unfriendly. Gumbel, I'm never unfriendly to you. Buckley, no, no, of course. You wouldn't do anything like that because your conversion to my points of view have been so wholesome. He then goes on to say, this anti-Columbus business is a fall of self-doubt and self-hatred, which characterizes our culture. The notion that Columbus is other than to be applauded for discovering a world in which 380 million people now live is fractious, and it is stubborn, and it is eccentric. Shall I go on? Gumbel, well... Would you, at the risk of this becoming a huge flight fight, allow that that's a very Anglo point of view? Buckley, he didn't unleash genocide, Mr. Gumble. Genocide was an entirely conventional way of conducting yourself during the 14th century 
and for 2,000 years before that. People killed each other, and they killed little children for stealing sixpence in those days. Columbus himself left very strict instructions to his crew to deal very humanely with whom they encountered. And by current standards, they did with everybody they ran into. So if you know, if one is in search of historical hobgoblins, I'd pass Columbus by and give him a wide berth. Nicely put on the fly. Nicely put. This has been going on, in other words, a long time. But notice where Buckley took it. Buckley took it to the point of self-condemnation. He was already on to the culture war of self-criticism in 1992. 1992, very interesting year for all that, isn't it, when you think about it? 1992, the transitionary election from a man who was a Republican sitting at 90% approval in January named Bush to his defeat by a man named Clinton ushering in a modern era of politics. And we thought maybe, too, a modern era of the Democratic Party. What we soon learned about Bill Clinton was he did the exact same thing as Richard Nixon, which is campaign right, govern left. Campaign to the right, govern to the left. And you'll note that as Democrats have come and gone since 1992, that has kind of been the stock and trade, hasn't it? Stock and trade, hasn't it? Hasn't it? Wasn't Joe Biden, as Jim Clyburn assured us, the anti-Bernie Sanders? Wasn't Joe Biden the man who would show that the Democratic Party was not a left-wing party? Well, of course, that's the game they want you to play. But go back to the appendix of 1984, the Orwell book, where things gained ground steadily more and more in the everyday speech. What the left has done is they've changed what the meaning of moderate is. So what they will do, aside from changing words and meanings, what they will do is they will look at their opponents, we conservatives or Republicans if you want or will, they will look at our most extreme elements of our party or people who identify with our party. They will look at our most extreme, our asterisks, our exceptions, and say that's what defines the center and main part of our party. While they soaked and steeped in left-wing socialism will say that their eccentrics and that their extremists don't represent the party. They say so from a party that has already been saturated by them. And thus, I give you the modern world of politics. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. The great John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He has his own radio show right here on Saturdays at 7 a.m. on 960, The Word on Wealth, and his website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. If you forget it, just think of that big hole up north. J.D., happy Monday. How are <laughs> you, man? You go. Good. How's it going? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. It's going to be a busy week with a lot of information coming at us from inflation to jobless claims and retail sales. I'm looking at the markets today, a lot of red, unfortunately. You think this is part and parcel of the oil problem? Is that what's going on here? Well, I mean, some of that. I think the market reacted. You know, energy prices are increasing. And of course, inflationary pressures uh, are all around us. Seth, we've talked about this. And, um, you know, we're starting to see more and more of that, and people are more and more concerned about it. You know, one of the things that we're going to be watching closely are corporate earnings, which will be coming out here soon, and to see if companies are hitting hitting the numbers that they estimated. And if they're missing on some of those numbers, that could be a little bit of a, a you know, hit to the markets. But uh, the other challenge really is, as inflation continues, if it does not get into check, and interest rates continue to rise, this creates a little bit of a pressure on many of those out there who are trying to create an income uh, off of their investments. What uh, is because, it? Yeah, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, you know, in a balanced portfolio of equities and bonds, this is a challenge for those out there who own bond positions because uh, those, those higher rates uh, begin to affect the value of the bonds themselves. So it's it's a little bit of a game that has to be played here, and a little bit of a uh, you know a way we have to look at this really is is to try to help people balance between income and growth in a portfolio based on what their risk tolerance is. Right. Now the question then becomes: What is it that is making the oil prices surge so high? I see OPEC isn't cooperating, but it's not just that. Is it? It some of it has to do with supply domestic. Some of it has to do with curtailing some of our own production, doesn't it? I mean, this is some of this is self-inflicted, is what I'm thinking. Well, I, be, I believe it is. You know, there's obviously some policy that the current administration has uh, decided to to continue with that the previous administration uh, was, you know, was different. Trump's Trump's uh, administration was was pro energy. U.S. You want to make us U.S. independent, and immediately the uh, current administration decided that that wasn't going to be their policy, and they want to rely uh, more on foreign foreign energy than our own. Um, so that's one. Number two is is you've got um, the shortage of labor. Yeah. This is an issue with truckers. I was there. thinking and that with, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in every industry, that's part of the shortage uh, around. Around the world is is trying to get look at all those uh, um, ships that are off offshore right now. The, the scenes out docks. of Los Angeles uh, and the ports around there are, are just yeah. incredibly frustrating. And it's all because this is what I've read anyway. It's because they can't get those to the docks mm-hmm. and unloaded because there's not enough truck truckers out there. Yeah, to there's been a shortage them. in trucking that's been coming for yeah. a while. That's right, and now it's it's full on here. It is, and it's, it's, it's hurting just about every area, including uh, food and uh, products that, that we all use and uh, that we want to buy, uh, but we can't get them. There's shortages everywhere. And then shortages for parts, which then also leads to, you know, trying to get your car repaired, yep. and they can't get the parts for it. Right. 
so are, are a new dishwasher, six months wait. You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable what what we're having to uh, deal with at this this point in time. It's it's not even that maybe the product isn't done and ready. It's just he can't get here. Yeah, that's um, that's strangely and upsettingly uh, reminiscent of Ronald Reagan's old joke about the Soviet Union and the man who goes to buy a car. And the man says, five years from today, we can have it delivered. And the man says, morning or afternoon. And the car dealer says, why does it matter? And the customer says, because the plumber's coming in the afternoon. <laughs> right? This is strangely right. redolent of that, or or even worse, Venezuela, you know? And now you've got Southwest Airlines today announcing that they canceled so many flights because of, uh, you know, a shortage possibly of uh, labor. Yes. So yes. Uh, it's just... All-encompassing right now, Seth. It is. And is, is it going to get worse before it gets better? Well, that's what we're trying to disseminate right now. I like that. And, uh, I like. I like that you're in the business of protecting against this happening with individuals in the future. That's the business you're in. That's my goal. Yep. You betcha. Thank and you. So you do much, it better Seth. than anyone else, John. Thank you, sir. You bet. Security and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fenrin Syndicate and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. JD, bless you. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Nine six zero. Um, okay, let me do this real quick. Then I want to get to you, <laughs> get to you on something quite astounding with news speaking COVID. But first, Doug in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Hi, Seth. Great show today. Thank you, sir. Hey, I just wanted to um, thank you for that intro on Columbus Day. It's um, just so well spoken. But I, I wanted to add to it, saying that it's nothing more than a total uh, tactic used by the left. Because if we analyze this very simply, that if they were offended because they, um, Columbus was uh, genocidal, then they would be rep- they would be immediately rep- uh, against socialism. Because socialism killed almost 100 million people in the 20th century between all the Southeast Asian countries and China and, and, you know, the communists of Chinese, uh, not only China, but Korea and Vietnam. In Germany, the Nazis were socialists, national socialists. And Russia, the USSR, the Union of Socialist Soviet Republic, they would repudiate it. But see, they, they will not... And, and if they were repudiating butcherous racism, they would. I did a thesis in uh, a study of my paper on in college on, in cultural anthropology was studying of the Indians, and basically, I was doing it because I thought they were so enlightened. I became horrified at how butchering they were, and how they. The only reason the Apache are here is because they were almost annihilated and butchered and driven off the plains by the Comanche. And the Comanche would annihilate you and steal anything on sight. It was theirs to take, and your life meant less to them than your their horse. And that Blackfeet would kill their neighboring tribe on sight, never even ask questions. 
that kind of butchering. As a matter of fact, the early Christians found that the early Indians quickly converted. But what happened is some of the earlier tribes were annihilated and driven into extinction by the cruelty of the tribes around them, just butchered them and got rid of them. So why would you not repudiate the Indians and the Native Americans? Well, the reason is, is that was the culture at the time. But they only show tolerance to anything that is not Western and not white. You know, it was interesting. When you, when you started off the sentence, they would be against. I thought you might mention some modern-day countries, and, and you did something bigger, which is important because those modern-day countries operate under its rubric. Uh, socialism, as you mentioned it, socialism wedded to fascism. Uh, but even in and before our very eyes, in and before our very eyes, this is all so much woke nonsense. Bill, do you have Ben and Jerry's handy? Ben and Jerry's, the audio I sent you earlier, um, interviewed, uh, uh, they were interviewed about boycotting Israel. And listen to this. Thank you, Bill. I surprised you with this. <laughs> we give Columbus wide berth. We give Bill narrow berth. Listen to this for a second, Doug. Listen to this. This is an interview with the founders, Ben and Jerry, with a, with a, with a reporter talking about their boycott of uh, Israel. Listen to this. disagree with the Israeli government policy, why not just stop sales completely? Well, I disagree with the U.S. policy. We couldn't stop selling in the U.S. I think it's fine to be involved with a country to be to be a citizen of a country and to protest some of the some of the country's actions and that's essentially what we're doing in terms of Israel we hugely support Israel's right to exist mm -hmm. but we are against also, a particular policy but you guys are big proponents of voting rights why do you still sell ice cream in Georgia Texas abortion bans. Why are you still selling there? Silence. 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 I don't know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't mean, know. Yeah, because uh, we don't mean it. We don't mean it. Yeah. We hate Jews, but we don't hate America. Right. I suppose is one right. way to say it. I don't know. I don't know. We love money more than we ha than than we love principles. Might be another way to say it. I don't know. But good for that reporter, Doug. Give her a go. Give her a give her a Pulitzer. But the but you know my point about where I thought you were going was why not? Why does the woke have no problem doing business with countries that engage in modern day slavery? Never oh. mind slavery that ended yeah. over 150 years ago. How about right today in our very front in the front of our in right before our very eyes? China. What oh, do yeah. they have to say about China? Yeah. Nothing. They sell to China at Ben and Jerry's. Nothing. Yeah. I, Nothing. Yeah, they buy and sell one. Nike shoes in America made with slave labor. Nike right. lobbies against a piece of federal legislation that will make it harder for China to export goods made with slave labor. Nike hires lobbyists to kill that bill. Where's Colin Kaepernick? Where's the woke progressive left? Nope. Let's go beat up on Jews and Christopher Columbus. Yep. And, yeah, it, and so we have to realize it's a tool. And I was only going historically because they're attacking Western history. 
as if we have to be perfectly lily white to perfections of a saint to modern woke standards and nothing in history is to that and compared to everything else that was going on at the time it was incredibly enlightened and that's why when historically is that they you know i mean look at you have you know 12 white men show up in the african store ashore and what people have to realize is they got the slaves because the local tribes would war and butcher each other because they all black because they were a warring tribe now they took the healthy ones or the people they wanted to breed and they sold what they considered a waste product because normally they would kill them but these dumb white people would buy them and 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 so that happened in the black um community it happened all around the world and so but they're they're only it's only a tool is what i was trying to say oh yeah no i'm with you i'm with you all this concentration on the evils of christopher columbus which have really nothing in comparison with the evils of what the caliphate was doing in 1492 nothing nothing close to the same moral encyclopedia nothing close but if we talk about that newspeak tells us it's islamophobia Here's the problem, Doug, at the end of the day. A really wise guy called in and said this. Capitalism and freedom can never succeed enough to create a success, never mind perfection, to be settled. And socialism can never fail enough for progressives to stop supporting it. Smart guy once told me that. Yeah. I think his name was Doug, and I think he lived in Maricopa. Yeah. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It came up organically, but I wanted to, uh, and I had in my notes here, that I wanted to put out a word of encouragement. I have a lot of friends at Southwest Airlines, and a word of encouragement over to them, uh, those that are involved in something the left used to cite as noble, civil disobedience. That's before they got control of the party apparatus. Civil disobedience was a good thing. Dissent was patriotic, don't you know? Henry David Thoreau. That was a signed reading when I was in high school. Was it for you, Bill? Did you have to read Henry David Thoreau on civil disobedience, Walden Pond, and all that? I remember we also read Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr. And I remember reading Gandhi. As well, civil disobedience was part and parcel of our education growing up, at least in the public schools and private schools I went to. What happened to it? What happened to it? Chris Buskirk and Kurt Schlichter are doing good work on Twitter promoting promoting the courageous employees at Southwest Airlines that are defying eighty degree beautiful weather. <laughs> when <laughs> This is the excuse Southwest is putting out. Because of weather, we have canceled so many flights. Yes, that weather, that that beautiful 75 and 80 degree weather that other airlines seem to be negotiating just fine. I don't know. Maybe the planes at Southwest can't fly in 70 degrees. I know here in Arizona we have problems taking off at 120. Maybe that's what's come of America. I don't think so yet. I don't think so yet. But do people remember at all, they're Thoreau. Thoreau says, writes that 
corporations in and of themselves, entities, don't have a conscience. But a, cor- a corporation of conscientious men is a, corpor- is a corporation with a conscience. A corporation of conscientious men is a corporation with a conscience. 60 Minutes used to highlight, back in the days of Mike Wallace, the civil disobedience in the big companies that the left considered evil once upon a time. They'd find them. They'd find these truth-tellers. They'd find them and they'd highlight them. Buskirk calls this a solidarity moment in the tradition of Lech Walesa. Remember Lech Walesa, the solidarity movement in Poland? He broke communism in Poland by starting protests, worker protests, at the docks, first in Gdansk. After he started his second round or third round, I forget what it was, of protests in 1980, it took only a year for a third of all workers to have joined him. You can break this at Southwest. You can break this mandate, mendacity. Stand tall. You going into November and going into December, all these flights canceling, no more pilots, no more air traffic controllers? I bet that Biden administration would get a pretty strong message. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 